0: From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, Vermont's rural development guru reflects. For 21 years, Paul Costello has helped towns and cities across Vermont envision how to build stronger communities. Paul is the executive director of the Vermont Council on Rural Development, but he's announced he'll step down at the end of September. Paul said the work of the council will continue, and anyway, That work has always been led by towns and cities themselves. We're a council dedicated to improving the life
1: of communities, but we don't think we have top-down answers for communities. We actually believe that, that local citizens, local leaders, thinking together, working around a table, setting priorities for action, the table rises, good ideas come together, and that the power of communities is really setting Spear points of collective activity around arenas of
0: action that are within their power. Paul said the process for this work over the past two decades has mostly involved community-wide meetings. Paul and his team help local people brainstorm what they want for the future of their town. Then they connect local leaders with people who can help fund and execute projects. People like state and federal officials or business and nonprofit leaders. Nobody builds a
1: vision for Bradford or Barrie from the outside, and in fact you don't find state, federal, agency leadership that's going to answer your problems. They can only respond to you and your leadership. You know, Washington DC and Montpelier aren't going to develop an economic development vision for Enosburg or St. Albans. It's all about local leadership, and then that state and resources follow those who have a sense of direction, common purpose, and unity.
0: You're saying that you, you set those goals locally first and then there become these other opportunities that are available. It kind of snowballs out from there.
1: Yeah, and part of the trick is we would bring those executive leaders in at the beginning and we wouldn't give them the opportunity to give speeches about their programs or what their offerings were. They had mm. to sit and listen to the community wrestle with where they wanted to go. And it you know, in some ways it ropes them into thinking, I, I want to help this community. I, I see where they're trying to go. And then at the end of the process, when the town has their priorities, we bring those people and their tactical people in to say, well, here's what we can do to help. Here's what we can do from the regional planning or development corporation. Here's what the Agency of Commerce could do. Here's what the Agency of Agriculture Here's what the Senate office could do. So it's extremely inspiring um, to see this work in practice. It's real democracy. Um, it involves everyone who cares and who wants to be in, engaged and for visitors, people tend to love to do it because it get, gets them out of their office, out of the bureaucracy, out of Montpelier, and, and doing what they care about most, which is you know listening to real people, trying to solve real problems and move their communities forward. And it's pretty inspiring stuff.
0: I wonder, on a certain level, it sounds like what you're describing is local government. Why can't local governments... Do that on their own?
1: Well, local governments do a great job, and some governments have the capacity to do that. When you think about a three person volunteer select board in a small town, when you don't have a town manager, you may be out inspecting culverts one day and looking at the side of your fire truck and what you need to do for equipment. It, it's incredibly complex, and the world is technicized, and not everybody is able to step back and and just hear the general opinion of people. Plus, people tend to bring their problems to the select board. It's like, here's the place to complain. Here's the place to talk about what's not being done. Select boards invite us in. We never go to a municipality that doesn't want this service. And in fact, we come in and we, on the invitation of the select board and with their approval, we, we bring everyone together as equals. So there's no hierarchy, and it's not about who you are or your position in society, it's about your ideas. And we add up those ideas and we depersonalize them. So sometimes you have someone who's been rather cranky about one issue or another and they bring up affordable housing and they're they are not very polished and they're difficult to listen to. And then at the end of the day, the community's voting the ideas on the wall of the gymnasium that are most fundamental. They're not voting town taxes and they're not voting municipal decisions. They're voting what the community wants to move forward and they may choose that affordable housing thing. And so things emerge and it's inspiring to see the choices that are made and then to see the number of people who line up for action. You know, in some of these communities, very small town you might get two hundred and fifty people to come out. In a place like Rutland we had four hundred and fifty people engaged. Over two hundred of them joined committees to drive work forward for the future of Rutland. So it's real democracy and Uh, In general, it really supports the municipality, and select boards see it as providing this momentum and this atmosphere of progress that it's really hard for you to build from the desk or or from your evening meetings at at a select board.
0: How many towns would you hazard to guess that you've you've done this work with over these years?
1: We've done it with about 80. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time on the road, (laughs) a lot of night meetings, a lot of really getting to know people in Vermont, you know, in every part of the state, in very small towns and in cities ranging from Rutland to Manchester and Bennington. And you get a real strong sense of the feeling and capacity of different places and the difference in capacity in the, the optimism of different towns, the hopefulness, the sense of like some towns are are happier than others. Some towns people have a sense of confidence. Some towns feel like they're forgotten and they feel they're on the periphery, and that they have less internal resources, and it's really hard to build momentum. And so we we're constantly trying to be useful in in any number of communities, very different, as different as Killington and uh, and and uh, Island Pond, and. In, in all places, we see this this process of people coming together and taking power to drive the future in a way that's uh, very dramatic and, and incredibly satisfying to be part of. Yeah. So in some ways, I think my job
0: has been the best job in Vermont for the last 20 years. <laughs> when we come back, why are some towns happier than others? And what can be done about it? Just a quick message from our underwriters, Bold Ideas from Vermont. A global pandemic has forced us to rethink almost every aspect of our lives. So where should we look for inspiration? On his new podcast, Bold Ideas from Vermont, host David Roth thinks the solutions are closer to home than you might think. Along with co-host Meg Polite and special guests, David discusses the bold ideas grounded in Vermont know-how that can help us not only survive, but thrive. Listen and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Go to BoldIdeasPod.com. That's BoldIdeasPod.com. I asked Paul if any communities he's worked with stood out as success stories. He mentioned Johnson. Residents there made plans to rebuild the town's streetscapes, work on water and sewer systems, and build affordable housing. But in doing all that, they had this side benefit of bringing together people who otherwise never worked with one another.
1: People talked about, you know, in our modern era of commuting away from town for work, we've become bubbles within the community. There's the the school community, there's the downtown merchants group, there's the municipality itself, there's the college on the hill, there's the arts group, there's the veterans groups. We all have our own invitation lists. We all go to our own events. And we become disconnected from the larger sense of our community and diversity. And they said, We want to build a communications committee. And that group met for a month and it said, We don't want to sit around talking about communications. We want to use all the vehicles of communication and all the invitation processes we have in this community to pull together. Mm-hmm. Some things cost big money, multi million dollar downtown redevelopments or building, you know, redoing derelict buildings. And some things are free, which is building you know, your Thursday Night Live on the Green event, that all those people share their invitation process. They share who's doing which show when. It just builds this life and vitality to the downtown that's fun for everybody. And everybody starts being on the green together and... You know, in our society today, the way Facebook and the Internet divides us and breaks us into fractured communities of mutual distrust or animosity, that kind of stuff is incredibly valuable. So the one thing that we see towns have in common is that sense of momentum and uplift from having a sense of direction together and a renewal of the community spirit of volunteers that want to get things done.
0: That's interesting. It, it sounds like what you're describing is that, you know, there's the end result of this process where there might be some concrete change. But then it sounds like what you're describing is that the process itself is part of the change that you're affecting. The process itself of bringing people together and getting them involved is a big contributor to that sort of vitality that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, the two really go together. You know, if you want to do public engagement and you want to sit around talking about public engagement, you're going to get boring pretty quick if you're talking about engaging together to get real things done, it's it's got a trajectory, you know? And people want a sense of purpose in progress. And it's not like we're supplying it, but we're helping people galvanize that together as teams. And it's just super, super satisfying.
0: Why are some towns happier than others? Why are some towns feeling forgotten right now? You know,
1: we've gone through tremendous economic Change and dislocation with the global economy, with transitions in agriculture and forest products industries, some of the foundations of Vermont. You know, you have towns along the Connecticut River built on tool and dye, and that industry's, you know, not what it was. You have places built on manufacturing and textiles that's not there anymore. Different parts of the state have been more hit by that. It's been harder for some places to get engaged at the same level of technology. Broadband being slow to some places has been a block to their progress. And some places basically have different kinds of infrastructure not beyond broadband. You know, Some places have a college in the community. Some places have a hospital. And there are places that have none of those sort of fundamental cornerstones of prosperity. And, you know, if you're a young person in our society and there's not broadband in your community, you're probably, once you get through school, and especially if you go to college, you're probably not coming back. Digital natives won't live without uh, the connectivity. The heart can be kicked out of a town when there's not youth there. So every town we wrestle with, you know, everyone from uh, cities to very small places are thinking, how do we situate ourselves as dynamic centers for young people to want to live here? And That connects with how do we move forward the food systems movement that's going to inspire young people who want to be on the land. Uh, To the creative economy, how do we build downtowns that are dynamic centers of arts and activities and creativity that will capture the imagination of both the artists, but also tech people who want to be in that living, diverse, creative environment. And so a lot of our work comes from bottom up, from communities, and then you say, what are some of the solutions that other communities are using that we could be sharing or that are going on in other towns nationally that may be inspiring models for, for Vermont towns?
0: And you're saying in a way that that has to come from the bottom up because there's this this whole menu of solutions that are out there and the people of that town kind of have to pick which, which type of thing is right for them.
1: Nobody buys an imposed vision, right? Nobody wants to follow something. They want to create and to really own something you have to have thought it through and also local folks know best their own resources and they know best their own assets sometimes they're not really conscious of those assets because they haven't listed them so we actually start with that sort of Mm. stuff and and you find incredible richness in some of the very smallest places both the creativity and diversity of people who live there but also natural assets and businesses and uh, so you start with that and you, if people think together and they are, you know, honestly discoursing, then then there's like natural progress to that. And you, you ask what you want for the future and people come up with really great ideas. And when you prioritize those ideas in terms of what's within your power, people choose really wise, thoughtful things.
0: I have to imagine there is somewhere a limit on that, though, because a, a lot of the problems that you've mentioned are problems that are not even really local in scope. Things like the broadband gap or the decline in dairy. These are things that a town isn't really going to be able to solve, right? So how do you overcome that?
1: Well, you need to you need to add up what happens at the community level into proactive public policy. And that's the other half of our work. Mm. But never underestimate the power of what a community does. When when Hardwick in 2005 or so started, it, they rose this flag and they said, we're going to be the center of Vermont's agricultural renaissance. Nobody gave them permission. It wasn't really true yet, but entrepreneurial guys, everyone from Jasper Hill to uh, Vermont Natural Coatings and uh, High Mowing Seeds, these guys got together and they said, we're a team. We're going to support each other's operations, we're going to do what we can to commonly distribute product and market ourselves and market our community and bring in more energy, that's powerful. Broadband as well, we've worked with, we had at one point 45 or 50 different broadband committees way before there was broadband in the Northeast Kingdom that were aggregating local demand and building a marketplace of 250 people ready to spend $40 a month and then helping to draw in a wireless provider. And as time went on, those groups got together like EC Fiber, and they formed a 15-town coalition. All those towns had broadband committees with us. And, and so that power of local action is essential. And let, let's face it, politics isn't really top-down either. It's based on a an authorizing environment that comes from the citizens and their own leadership, the things that people are ready to stand for, the things that are okay. You know, like the fact that we're now looking really deeply at climate, addressing climate by building Vermont as a solution center, comes from a lot of people thinking about that and making it politically possible for, uh, for representatives and the administration to, to say, yeah, this is central to Vermont. It's not a fringe idea you know 10 years ago if you were a politician talking about climate change it might be a, it might be really risky for you to talk that way especially if you're talking about putting dollars into it but today you know we're we're in a different game and that's kind of progress you know it has to come from top down but it also has to be led by people we bring people together who have really a lot of brilliance and we try to help them find you know what's the what do we have in common and what what do we build from as we start this conversation and so again it's just fascinating uh, fascinating work in terms of values and and intellectually
0: as a process. It does seem fascinating. It also to me seems kind of exhausting to constantly be thinking about things at that sort of ten thousand foot level. And you're talking about this whole range of towns and you're talking about the future, you know, this sort of nebulous uh, future time frame here. Doesn't that get tiring?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, in 21 years, it's tiring. On the other hand, you know, we've gone through a period in our democracy, especially in the last few years, where we've just seen democracy threatened. We've seen, you know, do we actually all agree on what justice means? Have we fulfilled our national ideals around racial justice, equity, fairness? Have The fact that we have gone to a period where people suspect science instead of have faith in science. Like, we've gotten to where we suspect everything, and we don't trust that we have common values. And so, the breakdown of common values puts us in a situation where, as a people, if we can be a people, we lose a sense of direction. And that makes everything a tactical battle, and we get our heads down around what we disagree in. And we can't think big about the fundamental challenges that we need to face, like advancing racial justice, like answering climate change. It may be exhausting to raise those big picture ideas and ideals. And sometimes, you know, you may be stepping out on a limb and look a little philosophical or, you know, is this just visionary nonsense? On the other hand, who else does it? You know, politicians often end up, working to do that but are often situated um, partly based on their self-interest and how they're working for their party and so forth and we think it's really useful for an organization to be take uh, the courage to bring people together and ask those kinds of questions around the big picture future and frame knowing that you're gonna have imperfect answers and that you're never gonna find this perfect unity or anything But frame the best pragmatic directions that you can and share those as a framework for people's thinking and dialogue and so forth. And then even to push, to say this part of it is is potentially most important.
0: I mean, as, as a person who, in this very specific role, you've been shepherding this process, this visioning along for 21 years. When you personally look out, say, 21 years from now, What does Vermont look like then? How does it look different from today?
1: You know, I think in our society, we tend to be really pessimistic, Hmm. that we know climate change is fundamental. We know that reconciliation and acceptance and deepening our mutual sense of belonging is fundamental. And the social media that we face is constantly trying to have you build a bigger problem statement. Like, oh, there, there's not only that, there's this, you know? And it's like, oh, let's get hysterical. Like, it, everything's falling apart. and we, you, we
0: call that doom scrolling.
1: Doom scrolling. <laughs> exactly. I've heard that one lately. And, and then you just think about, we go to a small town, and the principal of the school describes the fact that his kids come to school anxious, nervous about the future, nervous about whether things are okay. And, you know, before covid And with COVID, you've got anxiety on steroids. But you go to a cocktail party, you're having beers with friends, and there's kids running around, and people will talk about, you know, we've got 20 years, and then the shit's going to hit the fan with climate. And like, laughing it off and going on to the next topic, right? But our kids hear us saying this stuff. And it's not right. It's not acceptable. It's time for us to be the adults in the room and to stand up and say, no, we're going to look at that. And we're going to need transformational change. We're not going to be successful just with small increments of change around climate. Um, We're going to need to think differently, act differently. We're going to need a different economy. We're going to recreate differently. And so thinking about issues like that at scale, you know, you think 21 years from now, you can't just say, well, I I hope things get better. Or, you know, I can envision the the apocalypse or I can envision a better Vermont. But the only thing we can envision is a better Vermont and us putting ourselves on the line for it because we're responsible and we have to work as teams and we have to be committed in new ways at this point in our history because it's not acceptable to uh, devolve into our independent little worlds and do what we like to do and let the planet suffer and acquiesce in the face of injustices. You know, I just think that we're at at a point of history that calls for significant reform, that we're seeing some of that reform and reinvestment, but that for that to fulfill the kind of transformational impact that's necessary for us to be successful, it starts with individual commitments in democracy. And in democracy, you don't just vote once a year, you stand up for your community. That doesn't mean standing against people. You know it's important that there are people who who protest and are active uh, to make sure all voices are powerful. But we all have a responsibility to to act together and to find the path of progress. And we have to uh, have to actually actualize progress in
0: in teams for the future of Vermont. Well, thanks, Paul, so much for your time. I yeah. really appreciate it.
1: It's been, been a pleasure. and Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it.
0: This week, the Council on Rural Development announced that Brian Lowe would be its next executive director. Lowe was formerly the chief innovation officer for the city of Burlington. You can read more about Paul Costello's tenure at the Vermont Council on Rural Development and find a transcript of this interview at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger Newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. See you then.